What is going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? You are on the sidelines with the sideline guys for a very special MMA edition of the show. Once again, I am joined by my esteemed co-host, the man <laughs> who will find a way to make you wait outside for an hour and a half, but still loves you nonetheless, my guy, Sean Negron. How's it going, brother? going well it's going well i think it kind of threw me under the bus there i don't think people understand fully the story but it's hey. uh still still man it was a hell of a card uh, i'm glad you came out and uh it did not it did not uh disappoint that that's for sure and speaking of things that don't disappoint sean why don't why don't you tell them where they could find you on the socials oh all right um never done this before so <laughs> you can find me at Sean Negron 26 on Twitter and then uh, bsreports.org, bsreports.org. Um, you can go on my website and uh, reach out to me there as well if you would like to um, get started in your sports career. And if you're looking for any sort of help whatsoever, I will always help and be there. Yes, sir. Always available when his number is called. You can find me at Negron MMA on TikTok as well as the, the site formerly known as Twitter. Uh, and you could also find me on Instagram at Chris Negron underscore. But most importantly, make sure you're following the brand at OTS Media and OTS Media Co. on YouTube. Uh, but with all that being said, let's get right into it. Of course, the biggest piece of news over the week has been John Jones' removal from UFC 296. Unfortunately, he tore his pectoral muscle. Thank you. Thank you for that. I needed that. I need this voice in my ear, the voice of God, to correct all of my wrongdoings. Sorry about that, guys. So 295, our main event, is no longer. Yuri Prohachka versus... Alex Pereira has moved up to the main event while in the co-main we have, which I think is a little funny. We will get to that in a second. Uh, but being replaced for the heavyweight interim title is <laughs> one Sergey Pavlovich going up against Tommy Aspinall. Sean, I got to ask you right off the top. Are you more intrigued in this heavyweight matchup than the original matchup we had slated? Yes, for sure. Wow. Um, because I believe, and I'm glad that I'm glad that we're we're, we're here talking about this now. Because um, I believe that this is it has the word interim around it, right? But I believe that uh, this is more of a title fight to me. I I think this is something where this is only going to be interim until. John Jones ends up fighting Stipe. And then when they both do their little double retirement, um, I feel that as if both will retire together and then Jones or Stipe, whoever wins, will drop the belt. And then whoever wins the interim uh, in two weeks from now will just take over as champion. That's how I think the UFC is going to try to do it now. Um, it's a little tough. Because of the fact that, you know, Jones is probably not going to fight for at least eight to ten months uh, at the very minimum. And uh, it's it's tough to see um, 
those two guys with, with Espinal and Pavlovich have to wait another eight months, eight, nine months, maybe even 10 months in order to just become a heavyweight champion or, you know, undisputed or fight again. So that this is this is a very tough time. Obviously, they did not expect this to happen. But yes, I, I love this fight. This is, to me, the current heavyweight championship fight because it seems very clear that that John Jones is going to retire. Uh, I would be or or Stipe. Stipe seems more of a sure thing. Um, I would love to see if something changes with John Jones now that he's getting surgery. Maybe he wants to continue, but I think even with this injury, it, it even helps him confirm it even more that he's uh, he's good here. He's going to do one more for the legacy fight for the biggest payday probably of his career. Call it so he doesn't continue to get injured and uh, wrap it up, and then I think. Like I said, whoever wins this fight in two weeks will then become the undisputed champion. Hey, it sounds like we're running parallel divisions here, which I fucking hate. Um, I kind of thought it was stupid as hell that knowing he was going to be retiring right after you give him the Stipe fight, like if it kind of feels like, well, then force him to fight the person you think is still going to be here, right? Like as a promoter, that seems like a nightmare. Obviously, uh, John Jones is an exception, as always, um, to every rule and probably the best shot to have an actual draw that they have. So um, makes sense why they did it, but obviously it sucks. I agree. To a certain extent, I kind of wanted to get this fight over with to a certain extent. It felt like both teams felt the same way, right? Like they're like, as soon as this one's done, we're done. Like, like this is like Dana White always says, this is a going out of business sale. Um, so. As far as future intrigue, obviously this matchup is much better. I think name value wise, um, this card definitely took a hit with this uh, now co-main event. And obviously that's not the biggest, uh, best of scenarios considering obviously they want to make these New York cards feel absolutely as big as possible. Um, two title fights still is a very uh, great card. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but especially after losing John Jones, it feels like this card lost some of the momentum considering even if you got the pre-sale ticket uh, codes, like you were being asked to pay $900 plus if you wanted to sit in the nosebleeds. So um, considering all of those things, I wonder if they try to rush and, and throw something else on this card too. We saw that <laughs> they were nimble with the last Abu Dhabi one, who knows at this rate, but um, I think it's a good consolation prize. I agree. I think this, this is a main event, main event worthy fight, and I think the short notice nature of it also adds a little bit wrinkle to the matchup. Like I think that definitely favors Pavlovich, if you ask me, being able to uh, sort of come off the couch and you're you're going to be expected to do sort of the same thing no matter what, right? Uh, but I feel like for <clears throat> Tommy Aspinall, he's probably going to be trying to build a wrestling centric game plan against uh someone like Pavlovich so to have more time to do that is always beneficial who who would you pick in this co-main event scenario I know I'm jumping the gun here we got a lot of cards till we get there but just gut instinct who you got in that uh co-main event for the interim strap well we're really only one card away till we get there but um to be honest with you I kind of uh I'm, I'm picking Pavlovich to answer your question um, but that's because also Pavlovich is the backup fighter for Stipe John Jones before this injury. So he's been training. 
you know, and he's probably been training for a wrestler like John Jones. You know, he's been probably ready to go five rounds. I think this is, I don't think he's ever been to the fifth round or fourth round before. Um, you know, I, I think he's had a, a five round fight once or twice. I think he's had a couple main events, but he's, you know, he's been training. It's Aspinall kind of got this on the short notice after his win. I can't remember. I think it was like two months ago when he last won. You know, there were talks about him versus Pavlovich, you know, for the number one contender fight. And Pavlovich didn't want it. And, you know, they just couldn't make it work. Cyril gone, same thing. And now they kind of like, you know, they probably called Aspinall last second. And they said, Aspinall, you know, Pavlovich has been the backup fighter. He's ready to take over. Would you want to do this? And uh, I think the UFC probably discussed, like, oh, you know what we could do? Pavlovich versus Stipe. But do you really want to do that? Because I would think Pavlovich would win that fight, to be honest with you. And uh, I think then that would make the Stipe-John Jones fight look that much weaker. And then, you know, they don't want to do that. They want to have a legacy fight here. They want to build that card up between two legends. It sucks. This, uh, to be honest, completely honest with you, there's nothing like the only great thing about this is that we're gonna get a, a killer of a fight between Pavlovich and Aspinall. They, those are two killers, and I don't think people, people who are the casuals who are just understanding who these two guys are, like they don't understand how good these two guys are. And to have these two fighting as a co-main is a blessing. Granted, it's not John Jones, I understand, and not Stipe, but these guys can be legacy names five ten years down the line with with how good they are at this current moment aspinall i think is destined for greatness he's he's a heavyweight who can do it all pavlovich is just a mean monster just so goddamn big if he punches you one time it's kind of naganu type strength he'll put your lights out so this is going to be a fantastic fight i just think that obviously you know, for we're kind of in the situation we were at UFC 294, which we'll get to in the fact that, you know, you got another short notice fighter coming in trying to do the impossible. And I think that's more of Aspinall. You know, obviously Pavlovich is, wasn't destined to fight, but he's been training to fight. He was the backup guy. So he's been training. He's been ready to, you know, cut weight, make the weight, and you know, be there and whatever. You know, Aspinall getting this call literally off the couch. This is tough, you know, and especially not. It's not a three-rounder. This is five rounds. This is for an interim belt that most likely will become the, the real belt. So this is tough. So I, if anything, I have to give my, you know, my uh, my thoughts and probably my money if I were to bet it on Pavlovich here. But if this was a full camp from both of them, it would be, I think, uh, a little harder to choose. Love the way you broke that down, man. I'm going to keep it short. I'm going with Aspinall on this one just because the way the styles match up. Uh, but I could certainly see, man, both of these guys are super dangerous, and I won't be surprised if either of them get to finish early. Um, and obviously, if you hear someone got to finish early, you tend to think it might have gone Pavlovich's way considering the way both these guys fight. But um, I think it's going to be wild. I think it's going to be a crazy um, Beyblades-type fight, right, where – they just keep on connecting until one of them go down. I uh, won't be surprised to see uh, a real heavyweight uh, barn burner in that co-main event. But we'll get to more breakdowns for 295 when the time comes for now. It's time we recap a big pay-per-view that just passed, UFC 294. Out there in the desert? I think that's where we were, if you remember correctly. Um, Definitely. Can't put my Pretty finger sure. on exactly where. 
but somewhere in the United Arab Emirates, there was wrong. a card. There was a card. There was an event, and it was an unfortunate one. But for a lot of different reasons, we'll start at the main event. Obviously, our heartbreak of the day. The reason why I picked Islam Makachev with no hesitation with my number one pick when it came my way. This was sad for me, bro. This was very devastating. And I think you and I had the same sort of reaction. I remember you looking over at me just kind of like, fuck, man. (laughs) And I couldn't agree more. Um, I wanted nothing more than for this fight to be entertaining, for this fight to be a close fight. Um, obviously Islam made a lot of great adjustments with this second fight, uh, particularly in the clinch, uh, tying up beautifully and using that plum to land knees up that center channel as often as possible. And it really forced Volkanovsky into a situation where he felt really pressured, right? Um, just, just a beautiful game plan, right? To go against those, uh, a shorter opponent and finish with those kind of kicks, caught him at the end of a very nasty high kick and finished them off subsequently from there. Um, obviously it was a shocking result, no matter how you slice it, but how do you come away feeling about Islam Makachev after just another dominant showing as champion? Well, it shows that he is um, a lot scarier than people think. And, uh, you know, people like to, you know, as much as people try to deny that he's not in Khabib's shadow, I think he is very much in Khabib's shadow. And I think he can, obviously, he doesn't deserve to be because he is a decorated and he is a champion. I think he's one win away from tying Khabib in, in title defenses, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, he is a great champion. The thing is, is that, you know, he showed it and solidified it against Volkanovsky. And uh, it, this is what, you know, it gets you thinking as a Volkanovsky fan, as a, as a fan in general, I'm an Islam fan as well. I'm just thinking in the fans of Volkanovsky or, you know, like a Kamara Usman sort of situation where, you know, when you see knockouts like this, you know, and you see it end like that, that's never happened to someone like Volk. Do you think it's because of the 11 days or the 10 days notice, or do you just think, you know, I know people say, well, it happened in the first round. So obviously it had nothing to do with the short notice. And I, I, I don't think it had to do with the short notice cardio-wise, you know, and being able to take this fight. But I do think film has definitely plays a part. And, you know, adjusting to certain aspects from the first fight definitely do, you know, take a part. But at the same time, I'm not making any excuses for why Islam didn't win. Islam definitely was the better fighter. He made Volk, for the first time, not fight Volkanovski's fight. You know, it, actually, maybe the second time. But, it, you know... This was Islam fight from the from the very start, and uh, it was not you know once it was not like you know back and forth, but you know as long as it lasted what two two three minutes, it just seemed like Islam was just prey, like he was just going after him, and it just it was like almost inevitable. And I remember like I said to you right before the fight started, like come on, you know like I need Islam. I mean I mean I need Volk here. Come on, man, I, this is huge. I hope Volk can take this. And then it just felt like after the first minute, I. I was like looking at you and all my friends like, I don't know, man, this doesn't look good. He doesn't he doesn't look like himself here. It doesn't, you know, he just seems so uncomfortable. And then obviously it ends the way it does. And it's it's really rough seeing Volk get knocked out like that. Even whatever, stumbled, you know, to the point of knocked out. It's uh I never thought I'd see that from him and 
and uh, you know, kind of kills his 155 dreams. But you know, he's still a Hall of Fame champion, still currently at 145. So. I think it's easy to be a little somber considering the the way it all played out. Um, but in real time, I really didn't feel like he looked off or he looked like he was in a bad way, really. I thought he looked aggressive. I thought he looked uh, ready to go uh, when that, that bell rang. It, it just felt to me like the adjustments that Islam made, right? You got to give it, you got to give credit both ways, right? Both, of course, Islam was preparing to for a fight, but he accepted the fight against Volkanovsky on short notice, same way Volkanovsky did. And although Volkanovsky clearly wasn't in the best shape as possible and definitely didn't have a camp under his belt. Um, I think if you sign up, you got to be ready for whatever happens for, from that point on. Right. And I thought he looked ready to go. I thought, especially in those tie ups, when he was able to put Islam against the fence, he was trying to punch his head through it, right? Like he, he he was aggressive and it was very clear that he saw some things that he wanted to capitalize on too, man. I just thought amazing game plan from Volkanovsky to get him, I mean, excuse me, from Makachev to get him to keep dipping his head to 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 feel that need to sort of go against that resistance, right? Whenever someone's pulling on your head, no matter what the exchange is, if you're against the fence or not, uh, your your instant reaction is to straighten yourself up, right? No matter what, if someone's putting putting that force on you, um, your your first instinct is to to get away from it. And from that point, um, you saw his game plan to sort of keep him upright, landing some 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 body kicks early on, and then once that kick landed, man, it was just night night. Hell of a performance, hell of a knockout, man. And obviously, this is. Like you said, he's always in Khabib's shadow. It's always hard for him, particularly because no matter what, he's always going to be compared to Khabib. Um, but I don't think we've ever seen a champion like him at 155 where the threat of what he's able to do on both sides of the ball is a lot more dangerous, in my opinion, than to what someone like Khabib had. Now, obviously, it's hard to make that case because he left unblemished, right? He left the sport unmarked and uh, who who would have known what would have happened in other matchups or what we might've been able to see come out of his game as well. But it's hard to think of another champ at 155 that has this level of threat in both phases of the game. And clearly um, it's going to be a motherfucker for whoever is matched up for him in the future. Um, is there anyone that comes to mind that you would want to see fight Makachev before the end of the year where you're like, man, this guy has a real shot? Because uh, honestly, it's real hard for me to think of somebody. As of like, uh, like what's his next fight? Well, not necessarily what his next fight should be. I think based off of everything we know, it should probably be Charles Oliveira um, in that rematch scenario. But if there's someone you could send in there, right, to save your hamster's life. <laughs> Uh, who who would it be? Because it, it's hard for me to come up with an answer to that question. Yeah, I, honestly, I would probably end up if I had to keep it on a one fifty five basis. I'd probably would send Oliver. He probably has the best shot to do both. You know, to be good at both, or multiple styles of MMA. And uh, you know, if you look at anyone in the top five. Just don't see a way anyone gets past Islam. Even Oliveira, I don't really give it to him. You know, like you were saying before, we haven't really seen anyone like Islam in that respect. And I was going to say, Oliveira's probably right there. You know, 
if we're talking before the fight, you know, Alvera was being compared to Khabib at the time, and now you know Islam has probably surpassed him. The fact that he beat him, and you know he has another two title defenses against the featherweight champion. So I understand that. So I think that that one would be a little closer, but you know with Gaethje, I don't I just don't think think so. I think it's the same thing. If you get him to the ground, it's it's a bad night. Same thing with Dustin Poirier. Michael Chandler might be a little bit different because the fact that he should be a wrestler, he's just so dumb with his fighting, you know, IQ. I don't know. He just wants to be like a a crowd pleaser instead of being the, you know, all-American wrestler that he is. And I don't know. DC saying Connor should be the next fight. I think that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, I really just don't. No. Fazeev, Gamrot, no. So, yeah. Oliver would probably be my first choice, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a great shout. Um, I disagree with the Khabib comparison or him being in that same ilk of those two guys just because we've never really seen anyone vulnerable the way we've seen Charles Oliveira look vulnerable in a couple of even his title fights. Um, For Islam and Khabib, none of those guys have ever been in that realm. Mm Uh, but also, I think I what, think Islam what, what looked vulnerable in the in the in the fourth and fifth, or let's just say the fifth round of the first Volkanovski fight. In the fifth round, for sure. But you could argue he won that fight four one. Sure. So it's like, yeah. But if you you can also argue if there was just one more round, if there was just thirty more seconds, if there was just ten more seconds, who knows what Volk could have done? So, you know, it it I think that showed for the first time that Islam wasn't human, which is why they made this whole rematch. I think based off of those five minutes alone. They said, and it's hard. It's hard to come off of that second fight feeling like, man, that, yeah, that that's true vulnerability there, sure. right? Um, I I think it's a lot of back and forth, but I agree. I think um, if there's anyone I'm sending out there, it's most likely going to be Charles Oliveira. Um, obviously, sucks that he had that big cut, and I can't wait to see him uh, come back again. But you never man, know. Um, there's a real big difference, in my opinion, though, yeah. as far as uh, setting yourself apart from the from the pack in these fights. And don't get me wrong. I love me some Charles Oliveira. I love this title reign. Uh, some of the most best action fights you could have. And to have that as a champion is remarkable. Uh, but in my opinion, Islam is on his way to, to doing something real special here. And I think if he can continue on the path that he's on, uh, I won't be surprised if he ends up in the conversation with John Jones when his career is over, as far as being one of the best we've ever seen. And, I think a big part of that is afforded by his ability to continue in the sport, right? Uh, shout out to Khabib and everything he's doing with his new team as well. Um, a lot of those guys coming out on top big time in a lot of these fights as well. Um, and just continuing the legacy of Abdul Manap. I don't know if you saw that that video, excuse me, uh, most recently by Will. I believe his name is Will Harris. I don't want to mess that up. But um, he's the guy that has always been with Khabib and in his camp. Um, recording a lot of uh, sort of back behind the scenes footage. And recently they, he dropped a long clip of him coaching the guys and just digging in. I think it was on P, uh, a PFL fighter. I'm trying to remember his name. Um, Habulayev is his last name. I'm trying to remember his first name. Um, but he was talking about how basically no matter what, you agreed to come to this camp like – our time as far as what we're doing here, we're not running on your time. Like just because you don't have, like he was saying, just because you don't have a fight right now or you're not fighting it within these two weeks, 
doesn't mean that you don't come to train when the rest of your teammates do. And like, clearly he's just very serious and regimented um, in, in a really disciplined way that you don't see, uh, in my opinion, throughout all the different other celebrity camps, so to speak. Um, so I, I think there's going to be a big legacy for that team uh, moving forward in the sport of MMA and the way that they've changed it. Um, but specifically with Islam, man, I could really see him running off a long title reign, but who knows? The sport is goddamn crazy. Uh, so I think it's only safe to say the only thing we know is that we don't fucking know shit. So can't <laughs> wait to see him defend a belt. And that goes for both of these guys. I'm sure is um, Alexander Volkanovsky will be back as well. So all that being said, anything else you got in the main event? No, that's basically it. I, the only thing I would say with the Islam thing is that if he beats Oliveira for a second time and then has two wins over Oliveira and Volk, I don't care if it's Gaethje or Poirier, whoever comes next, because of the I we've talked about this before where the lightweight division is a little slim after the top five. It's it's you know there's a couple other guys, but you know I think the lightweight division is a little bit on the slower end right now on building you know these top prospects coming in, so. I think Islam could have a humongous title reign. I think he's got maybe, you know, two more fights left of, of Oliveira and maybe a Gaethje and a Poirier, and then he can eliminate that whole regime of the old fighter, older fighters and then watch these prospects come up and just annihilate them because I think Islam is here for a while, to be honest with you. I really do. But, yeah, that's, that's really it. The lightweight division's in some serious trouble when it comes to uh, trying to get a new belt on a new person. Yeah, man. And I won't be surprised if we end up seeing him. He's already been talking about it. Make his way up to welterweight, too. Who knows? Maybe he finishes his career up there. That'll be Covington uh, wins. another crazy thing I think they do it. I think either way you could do it, to be honest. But um, you could sell I think they're kind of sick of it as well. You could sell it like crazy. If Covington wins. Hey, I don't want good things for Colby, all right? Nobody I don't, I don't does, want anything. bro. But I'm just saying. <laughs> you can have Covington this... Americans, American of all that nonsense, and then someone like Islam to come in, two wrestlers, and oh, that would be a hell of a fight. But we'll get there when we get there. Uh, what would you lay the odds for Colby to walk out to that fight with the Ukrainian flag? What would you? What, what would be the odds on that? <laughs> I would say, I would say two to one there for sure. It's it, that's it has to be. He, you know, he's going to do something where it's American on one side, Ukrainian on the other. Or, Something wild. He's a crazy, crazy person. Who knows? Hopefully uh, flags are unbanned again. <laughs> uh, but who knows? Maybe we're the soft ones, if I remembered correctly, with that fucking rant. But we'll move on to the co-main event. Hamza Chimaya versus Kamaru Uzman. Uh, before we get into the particulars of this one, I got to ask you, how did you score this one? I uh, I scored it, uh, if I remember correctly, 2-1 Hamza. Um, I thought it was really close. I think the first round was clearly a 10-8. And I understood completely why I think one judge had it 28-28, um, if I remember correctly. Uh, so I, I understood that. But I did believe Hamzad had done enough. But it's exactly what I said in, you know, when we talked about this fight in the preview, where I felt that Hamzad was a little bit exposed in the gas tank area against Gilbert Burns. And I felt that definitely came to fruition again against Kamaro. I felt around early second round, mid-second round, he started to slow down a lot. You know, he could play as the gas tank. It did come out later. I think that 
Amzad said that he might he thinks he broke his hand. Maybe that was the whole reason that things changed and changed his whole style up. But that first round was so incredibly dominant. It really showed, you know, the new regime taking over the old regime. And uh, that was it was almost tough to watch as a Kamaru fan. Like, I'm a fan of both. But you watching Kamaru, you know, be this legendary decorated champion for the longest time. You know, you have Dana White saying he's the greatest welterweight of all time. That's a little debatable. But, you know, like, a little. <laughs> you, you have, you see Kamaru come up. He's doing the short nose fight. And then Hamza just obliterates him in the first round. And then obviously things slowed down. So obviously if, if this was a five round fight, we may be having a completely different uh completely different conversation. So overall though, I did score two one for Shamayev, but I think if it went to a fourth round, things could have been a lot different. I agree, man. I think two one Shamayev is the scorecard. I think there's a case for three for three oh, to be honest. I know that sounds crazy because everyone's like the best round anyone had was round two. Yeah, but was it was it really? I think th- the third round uh, by Camaro was the most uh, dominant round as far as the 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 current criteria. But um, obviously, I mean, that's hard to say considering round one and the grappling dominance. But I mean, asserting yourself and like that feeling of danger, I think they're a little bit more equal than the unanimous 10-8 in round one would tell you, right? Um, so shout out to Kamaru. I felt after that fight, to be honest, I had a little bit more faith in Kamaru um, coming out of it than going in um, and his prospects in, going forward as well. I think he fits right back in no matter what division he decides to go back into after this. So I won't be surprised uh, to see him in a number one contender fight sometime soon again, uh, just because he's that kind of a fighter. And clearly, um, his gas tank is what sets him apart because you could have argued on short notice uh, he was the better better guy for wear come the third round. So uh, love me some Kamaru Usman, and I'm sure he's he'll be back, um, and that won't be the last we see of him. But yeah. we move well, on. Hold on. I got, I, got, I got a quick question for you. Um, you know, keeping this quick, I, I wanted to ask you. Now, we know what this fight was a setup for. Obviously, for a number one contender fight, this is, a, you know, Hamzat won. He's now the number one contender versus Sean Strickland. Um, I wanted to ask you, well, the, it also came out on Tuesday that he's now ranked number nine, Hamzat is, at, at middleweight. Felt that. Uh, I'll ask you, what do you think of that number? But also, you know, do you think that um, Hamzat deserves to be the number one contender? before and after this fight and how do you see that playing out quickly i think if we're talking about deserve it's a different conversation um i think the rankings are fucking stupid and before this fight it was declared what this fight was for so no matter what in my opinion if you're going to be getting the shot you're the number one contender right like that's how that works um if you ask me if i'm the rankings guy uh, but clearly they don't call my phone for a reason. Uh, they, they must have it all figured out. Nine sounds very weird to me. Um, the fact that you'll want to have someone getting a title shot being ranked number nine, uh, super strange. Um, but I don't mind it considering, obviously, that was a big part of this fight. I mean, they mentioned it a thousand and six times on the broadcast leading in and then during the fight that this was the number one contender fight, right? So, uh yeah, being ranked at nine is stupid when you're the number one contender. <laughs> but um, I think it's justified. I think um, if you ask me, I would rather 
and this is after the fight, right? What what is it? The opposite of hindsight is twenty twenty. But um, after the fight, I feel like, man, where Drick is at? Like, give him the shot. Um, if anything, that that is a more um, middleweight title deserving win, if you ask me, um, than that. But we already knew the stakes going in. It is what it is. And hopefully, I'm pretty sure with the way they handled the Drickus situation, um, if Hamzad is injured, he won't be the number one contender anyway. So uh, we've got things to figure out here in middleweight. Um, but gun to your head, Sean Strickland, Hamzad Chimaev, who you picking? Jesus. Oh. Sean Strickland. <laughs> really? Just to just to throw some wavelengths my way, have some people go crazy and hate me. But is it in the Sean name? Yeah, is yeah, that that, that's, definitely, Sean, that's definitely that's definitely not it. But it's because it's um, <laughs> you know, it, it really depends. I think if Hamzat gets his way in the first round, like he's done with so many other opponents, then no, obviously I don't think that. But I also think uh, I I have yet to see Hamzat in a five rounder, and I think. Sean has the gas tank to do it. And I think if Sean can get the fight to the middle of the second round, even the third round, I think that's where you start to see the tides turn and turn into Sean's fight, especially with all that pressure constantly. Like we just saw with Adesanya, you know, you know, making him uncomfortable and kind of seeing the gas tank run out quicker. So I don't know, you know, who the hell knows? But if we saw, like we saw with Hamza in that first round, just absolutely, you know, toy with Kamaro. I don't think Sean Strickland's making it out like Kamaro did. I think, I think, Hamzat would submit Sean Strickland in that first round. So it, it really depends. Those first five minutes are going to determine the whole fight to me. But we'll see when we get there. Whew, you got some balls, man. I'm not <laughs> willing to go down the same route. I'll be picking Hamza in that one. But I agree. I think there's a lot of avenues for victory for Sean in that fight. Obviously, endurance like is the right? fucking key. Endurance is the key. But if you ask me, the next, the next thing I need to see from Hamzat just don't even fucking look back, right? Watch nothing but Khabib tapes in analyzing and trying to work on your game for upcoming fights. Just fucking fuck going for submissions, bro. Especially in the first round. Just smash. Smash everybody. Smash. That's what you came here to do. And clearly his control in round one is just a different level. Uh, nobody does that to Kamaru. Um, same way we said nobody does those things to Volkanovsky. Um, so obviously just surprising performances and dominant ones for both of these guys. But I think Hamzat should be able to win that fight, all things considered. But uh, the longer it goes, the more nervous I get, uh, especially with that matchup with Sean Strickland. But we'll move on to the weirdest fight of the night. <laughs> um, Magomed Ankalaev versus Johnny Walker. Just a comedy of errors, as always, uh, whenever it's Magomed Ankalaev. Can we believe this is now his second prominent no-contest fight where he's probably going to end up in a rematch? Uh, the first being the crazy um, early stoppage against Yanku Dalaba. We saw how that one ended in the rematch. Honestly, I'm, I'm intrigued for the rematch because if you ask me, I wasn't feeling bad with my pick watching that fight before that um, wayward knee. Um, I thought Johnny Walker was in that fight and I thought, honestly, if we're, if we're talking honesty here, I think before the ref even intervened and he took that knee, he didn't really look affected. Right. I think it was until after 
they broke up the fight and it was clear that this was an illegal knee, um, that he started to look a little bit worse for wear, right? You sort of come out of character a little bit. I'm sure the fucking knee hurt him. Don't get me wrong. But it was something that in the moment he was able to soldier through. So if it wasn't stopped, he would have been fine. So that's why I think, once again, the doctor stoppage is just fucking egregious on top of the fact that he just showed up, asked him where he was, and then got the answer of, we are in the desert, baby. And who the fuck knows, right? It could have been memes at that point. Like, that could have been just him being him, right? And just having his answer. Um, shit, if you ask me what state I'm in, <laughs> and I'm traveling. Um, I might not be able to give you that answer as fast as as humanly possible, let alone after taking an illegal knee to the head. So I thought that doctor did a terrible job all fucking night. Uh, but I think a lot of this falls on the refs too, man. Um, I get that this was an illegal knee, uh, but to call it unintentional, in my opinion, is bullshit. Like I get over and over again, right? Fouls, we... we Clearly, there is not a movement to be hard on fouls in any sort of way. Um, in every fight, you're sort of allowed one of each, right? One of each. And it's just assumed that you're not doing things out of malintent. I would love a world, right, where your warning's in the fucking back. Don't. <laughs> and and from now on, if, if there is something that is warning worthy, you are getting a point taken away. Because in my opinion especially because I picked Johnny Walker in that fight doesn't make sense that it, it is rushed to be stopped and then considered a no contest because it's deemed to not be intentional. There's nothing more intentional than knee and a motherfucker in the head. So either, either make the knees legal or um, we need to figure something out here. Cause clearly um, there's no efficient way to tell a fighter when not to throw the knee. And then there's no real consequence for throwing illegal knees. So what are we doing here? Um, you're going to land the shot. And then from that point on, if they decide that they're able to continue, we're going to move on as if nothing happened. No, dude, that's a significant uh, fucking moment in the fight. And we'll get to that later on in the car, too. But I'm fucking riled up, as you can see. Are, are you as upset as I am, Sean? Because this was some bullshit. Yeah, I, I think uh, the no contest was bullshit. Um, I felt bad for Johnny Walker, too, because it was a close fight. And as as quickly as it you know came and went. Um, I think what, what bothers me the most is how everything played out and how it ended the fight and the doctor and the language barrier. And, and I, even the ref was like, oh, he's good to continue. No, he's not good to continue. Oh, he's not good to continue. Oh, no, he's not. And then he's like he's calling the fight. And you can even tell he's not happy about it. It's, you know, there's still two and a half more minutes of the, the timeout that's left of the five minutes, you know, like. Give the guy the, all the time he needs, and you know, like that doctor. That doctor mm -hmm. was very questionable from the start, especially from the other no contest that happened, which we'll get to. Um, that was a very debatable situation. It was it was very ugly all night. I think uh, there was a lot of a lot of uh, timeouts. Let's say there were a lot of dirty type fighting on accidentally, of course. But it was a uh, it was a lot of doctors, you know, coming in, a lot of timeouts, a lot of breaks. It was a very very off card from the usual. So it does suck. I was kind of hoping that they would surprise us or something, and they would throw this fight on for two ninety five, you know, to kind of throw them right back in. But you know, I, I don't know what Johnny Walker's situation is from that knee. 
I don't know how bad the cut is. I don't know if they're both willing to fight again a month from now or really like three weeks from they last fought. But I hope that they do run this back within, you know, 296, 297. I think 296 is basically wrapped up with how stacked it is. So I hope that they throw this on the January card with Volk. So I, I want to see this fight uh, hopefully again soon. Great shouts. Yeah, I can't wait. You you would assume that they're able to get this one back on the books once again. But just like that, one of the biggest, most impressive wins of the night, Ikram Alaskarov gets the first round knockout victory over Warley Alves as clean as it comes. What a fucking sequence, right? Uh, from rocking him with that jab uh, to eventually landing that flying knee and the follow-up punches that ended it all. Uh, that dude is impressive, man. That dude is impressive, and that was a great pickup for you in Dynasty. How you, how did you feel about that first-round destruction by Ikram? Oh, I loved it because uh, I am a firm – I believe Ikram's right there, man. I think uh, people will start paying attention to him after this card, and I think we did him a disservice by not paying the, – the casuals had not paying attention to him until now, and the way he just went in there and took care of a veteran like Alves, so – Ikram's scary, and I, nobody really knows that Ikram and uh, and Hamzad have had their you know their fight before and how close that was. Nobody knows that, so you know I I wish that people will start paying more attention to Ikram because I think I think you could see Ikram Hamzad two within you know a year uh, less than a year from now if if everything works out for both of these guys. Oof. Yeah, that's a that's a banger uh, that we need to see. To be honest, at this point, we need to get that that arc figured out. Uh, but hopefully, this time it's for a UFC title. Uh, feels like both of those guys are headed in that direction. Um, obviously, we assume Warley Alves is probably either out of the UFC or definitely out of the middleweight division moving forward. Uh, but a big step up win for Ekrom for sure. And sort of what we expected, right? But sometimes it ain't, ain't easy to go out there and do what's expected of you. Uh, but Cousin said, Cousin said, did exactly just that in the fight before this one. Gets the knockout. I mean, excuse me, the guillotine victory, uh, power guillotine or a ninja choke or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, great call by you once again. Um, I thought this was a beautiful choke. And kind of sucks that I didn't see this uh, as an outcome because uh, this is his jam, right? This is what he does. Uh, so uh, great win by Saeed. And uh, wish we got a little bit more of a fight, uh, but you can't complain with a finish that beautiful. Yeah, I loved it. I, this is why I chose uh, Saeed. I just felt that he wanted to rebound from how everything went down in, in his last fight. And, uh, you know, I think he had a lot more on... I don't know what it's like a lot more to play like i think he had you know something to lose here and i just felt that he wanted to really make a statement especially and i said that in the, in the preview show that i think he's going to come out here and try to get a first round sub i think he's really trying to prove that he can and is you know part of that Nurmagomedov name you know it, that name has so much you know high standard like you can look at everyone from bellator to here to you know anywhere that they they really uh, prove who they are, and um, I, I, I was not surprised by this win, and I'm really happy for him and uh, the performance of the night. 100% can't be mad at a win like that. Um, right before that, though, uh, 
awesome comeback victory with an arm triangle choke. Mohamed Mokayev gets the win over Tim Elliott. You brought it to my attention that this fight was in Tim Elliott's hands. If it was going to the judges, he already was up two rounds um, going into that third round on all the judges scorecards, which I thought to be a little bit surprising if you ask me, um, but gets the job done when he needs to and comes away looking like a, like once again, the prospect we expect him to be. Um, how do you feel about Muhammad Mukayev's future at flyweight? Damn, man, you just stole it. I was about to ask you. That's so funny <laughs> because, you know, like, uh, I think his future is still pretty bright. Um, uh, I'm nervous for him though. You know, with, the, with, even with the, um, I didn't remember the guy he fought last, but the fact that it, it got as scary as it did. And in this Tim, Tim Elliott fight, I think he was a pretty heavy favorite going in. And, you know, it, I thought it was closer. I thought it was 1-1 going into round three. But the fact that two out of three judges had a 2 nothing for Tim. And then, obviously, Mokayev ends up getting the sub. Like, he kind of bailed himself out with two minutes, less than two minutes left in the fight. So, it was close. And I'm... I'm I wanted. I'm glad Mukayev won because I think Mukayev has so much uh, stock in him, and I think he is the future of 125. But it is a little. I'm a little scared for him. I think I said this in the preview show uh, as well that I I'm I like this guy. It's just there's something about him that gets me very nervous with him. And you know, this fight did not help that. You know, I, I Tim Elliott is a decorated veteran. You know, he's been around a long minute, but I, I expected Mokayev to come in to be the better fighter here and to get that sub and maybe get it earlier. I, I, I know I'm picking at straws here, but you know, to if you if you if that fight goes to decision, Tim Elliott gets his hand raised and now we're talking about a completely different oh, is Mokayev even a good one twenty five er? Was it all hype? Was it you know, so he bailed himself out on this one and it only gets harder from here. So I don't know whether he needs more time. I don't know whether, you know, rushing him into another fight will help him. That's what I kind of wanted to ask you. Like, what would you do if you were, you know, Mokayev's team here? You see how these last two fights went down. Obviously, you do get the win. You know, you've had three straight, you know, uh, submissions, four out of the last five. You are getting the, the victories, but the last two especially have been a lot closer than you wanted them to be. So what would you what, what, what would you do? I mean, I think he really wants to make the push, right, to try to break the record. I don't know how realistic that is at this point in his career. I think he already kind of got set back big time uh, with that um, injury to his knee. So at this point, if I'm his team, I kind of just say, let's fucking work our way through here, right? Let's figure this out a little bit more, take the slow build approach. Um, I think he looks really good. Like, I think even against those guys in the top five, I think he's going to be able to implement his skill and his will on those fights. Like I, I think those aren't easy fights, um, but at the same time in those matchups, particularly in the top five, it starts to feel like his advantages um, get outweighed by some of the disadvantages of his style, um, which is really dependent on getting into good positions on the ground 
and specifically staying out of exchanges and on the feet. Like I feel like the higher you go in these divisions, they're able to hold their own on the ground while also being able to punish you on the feet. And once that dynamic uh, comes to play, I'm going to be really interested, man, to see how he responds in those fights. Because uh, even for stretches against Tim Elliott, he was getting jabbed and pieced up from, from range and kept on, on the outside. And obviously in the tie-ups, man, a lot of the times it isn't so quickly dominant on his side, right? Like a lot of the times we'll see, for example, top control from guys like Magomed Ankalaev. It's immediately in their favor, right? Uh, sometimes these are real uh, scrappy moments, right? With a lot of these flyweights and it's hard to stay out of scrambles in this division period. But um, I think for his game, the more time getting comfortable on the feet and finding his, his sort of um, preferred path to getting something else done besides just the grappling. Once he gets a fold, uh, a, a sort of firm grasp on who he is in that department, I think he's going to be super dangerous because there's going to be an actual threat there. Um, but until then, it kind of does feel like, um, for the most part, if you could get, if you could get him tired, if you could get him in scrambles and working, uh, come the fourth and fifth round, you should be able to land on him in a way that could really change the trajectory of the fight. So there's a lot of questions to be answered, but I think it's always like that with these prospects. Uh, really excited to see what comes for him because. When he's on, man, he's fucking on, and he looks scary as hell to go up against. So um, I don't think it's going to be easy for him to get fights moving forward, man. I think the word is out, and he's that kind of prospect. So keep keep your eye on Muhammad Makayev, no doubt. Um, but right before then, Trevor Peak gets the unanimous decision victory over one Mohamed Yaya, a fight that I thought was, although it had moments of action and moments of bursts. I thought this fight kind of was a little bit of a lull in the middle of this fight card. Um, obviously the random technique, uh, moments in this fight make me smile because I love seeing Trevor peak do some wild shit out there, but, um, just kind of felt like Muhammad. Yeah. Yeah. never really found his way into this fight and Trevor peak just out veteran them. Right. Uh, how'd you feel about this matchup? I was pissed because, uh, you know, being called the <laughs> UAE warrior, I expected him to be a warrior there, but I felt like it was, like you said, very well. It was very, it's one of those fights, unfortunately, where if you look at a 13 fight card, that that's the, this is one of those fights you don't remember because it's one of those where you, you know, you obviously like we, I remember I'm saying, you know, but to everyone else, it's kind of one of those like, all right, you know, it's nothing create, nothing blew me away. There wasn't all oh, man with the, Two minutes left in the third round, man. Oh, my God. You should have seen that combination. Like, there was nothing like that in this fight. And I think Peak was just dominant from first, second, and third round. Like, he was better. Uh, nothing over the top crazy. But, you know, like I always say, veterans, you know, being a veteran in this game and having fights in the octagon will always be an advantage. And that's what, you know, proved. They both weren't great, but Peak, being the veteran that he is, was, was better. Great shouts. Yep, couldn't have said it better. Next up, <clears throat> right before, well, you know what I mean at this point. Um, the ball bags, baby. You better protect them when you go out there because Javid Basharat is coming for your nuts, and he does not care. 
if afterwards you are writhing in pain because he's going to the commission, baby, and he is going to appeal that no contest because he believes it was a legal shot. Sean, I love me some Javid Basharat. I think he's fucking crazy. I think the level of disrespect to just call this man a liar times 50 and then take it to that level where you're saying, I'm going to take it to the commission and try to fight this because I've been uh, subject to an injustice. Uh, when you kick the man clear in his taint, it's just fucking ridiculous and tone deaf. And honestly, I love to see it, man. Somebody needs to do something about these fouls. And if Bashed Ignorance by Javid Basharat is what does it, hell, get the microscope under this uh, officiating kerfuffle. Because I swear to God, this issues of fouling and MMA have existed for years. And it's about time we did something about it. I am not optimistic, though, Sean. Are you? No, I'm not optimistic about it at all. I Another one where the with the... With the whole doctor stoppage thingy where, you know, the doctor coming in saying it didn't hit you there. And, you know, like, you, you clearly see the, the fighters, like, almost in the verge hey, of tears. Fucking, stop fucking lying yeah. to us. Stop lying to us, Victor. Yeah, like. What, a, what an asshole. Oh, my God. So, I don't know what happened with the MRI. I really don't want to know, to be honest with you. But it's, uh, he was clearly in pain. You know, he went back there. They said he was throwing up. He, you know, had to go right to the hospital. So. It wasn't one of those debatable situations where you think, oh, yeah, he's definitely faking it. He doesn't want to fight Bashra, blah, 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 blah. You know, all those stupid narratives that are that are formed. It's unfortunate because, like I said, you know, earlier, this this card had a lot of dirty play going on there. It was, uh, it was, it was a rough one. But the thing that bothered me the most with all this, you know, dirty maneuvers, dirty play throughout, you know, hey, yo, I, I know it doesn't sound mm-hmm. good, but. <laughs> Thank you. But with all this nonsense happening throughout the card, you know, I felt I don't even know if there was a single time that a point was, you know, taken away or anything throughout the entire night. And it it was rough the whole night. I felt like every fight, almost every fight had something. So mm-hmm. but this one, I don't know what Basharat's thinking right now. So I'm not <laughs> even going to get into that. But, um, you know, it doesn't really affect Basharat that heavily um they're never gonna make this fight again it's not like they're gonna go man we gotta re- we gotta do this fight over to see who the real winner is they're just gonna move <laughs> on with basharat getting someone else as yeah, if he did like win him. so it, this is something like yeah you know you don't get a win and you have that little one next to your you know next to your record but it, it, it doesn't affect you in any sort of capacity let's just move on and you know get you on a fight real soon Yep, that sounds about right to me. That's that's usually how the UFC responds to these no contest scenarios. But Cedric Dumas was able to overcome having his hair pulled as if this was uh, an episode of uh, World Star's Finest uh, Street Fight videos. Sean, Abu Azaitar should never be in the UFC again, right? Not just because he's a dirty fighter, uh, but because he's not too good. Am I am I, is this a hot take? Am I am I overstepping no, it's here? Not. That's exactly why I didn't pick him. <laughs> but uh I just, you know, I, I wasn't a big fan of Abu as big as he is. Um you know, I think uh I think his time has come and went. And I wasn't really even overly impressed with Cedric 
or I don't care what it is. It's Cedric. It's Cedric. It's Cedric Dumas. I don't care. It's French, <laughs> but I don't know how they pronounce it. It there's everyone pronounces it differently, but I felt that Cedric was better of a better fighter and clearly, you know, the winner in this fight. I just wasn't impressed with either of their performances, but I definitely wasn't thinking to myself like, oh man. Abu, hey man, that was still a good fight by Abu, man. Oh man, I, I hope he gets another shot. I was good, you know. I know it, it was, I know it was two, two one, twenty nine, twenty eight, but I'm, I'm clear. I'm, I'm clear on Abu here. Yes, sir, and I think we're good on also saying, um, not very confident in Dumas's future in the UFC either. But yeah. Right before then, we had Anshul Jubilee just absolutely shit the bed against the Bro. dog. The dog with staff, Mike Breeden. <laughs> God damn, this really um, obviously hurt both of our pockets a little here, but. More mine. Uh, no, I disagree. My dynasty team felt it. Just wait. Um, so I You don't even know yet. What? You what? don't even know. <laughs> what? So I didn't realize this in until later on, but. I had put a nice little parlay on this, uh, on this, on all, a bunch of fights here, and I had all of them right until <laughs> Jubilee, a six-fight parlay, which would have paid my rent if Jubilee would have just held on. And uh, I'm so glad I didn't know that at the moment, mm. you know, because now I'm at the point where I know I lose every bet that I just don't even want to know what i bet and how i remember i'm not checking i i don't even care to look because i'll just get upset so watching that and then i looked back the other day and saw that that was the fight that made me lose my next month's rent oh and i and i was saying it too like i get it you know mike breeden missed weight and uh you know that definitely can play a factor there but man i don't know what the hell happened i don't know if breeden barking at him like a dog <laughs> scared Jubilee half to death because he looked like the better fighter the first two rounds. And then all of a sudden he, he was getting yelled at and barked at and like it felt like Jubilee like lost his soul. Like he, he didn't know who he was anymore. He was like scared of the guy and like he stopped throwing punches. He was just running away. I it really felt like there was like a rabid dog in there and Jubilee was like didn't know what to do until it was inevitable that he got knocked out. I I I've never seen something like that where it just looked like someone's yelling antics really scared the shit out of someone. And uh, I felt that that happened to Jubilee. And I was really hoping for Jubilee to win this one. The fact that India doesn't have that many, you know, UFC fighters. I don't think, I think he is. Is he the only one at the current moment? Yes. So, yeah. Moment. So, you know, like it, it's, it's tough to see because Jubilee has a lot of hype around him and man, that sucked. And especially now knowing the money I lost, love that for me. Um, I was hoping, you know, for Jubilee to pull it out. He had it in the bag, and goddamn, did he fumble it. So that sucks. But overall, great uh, yelling performance by Breeden, and uh, I'm glad to scare the shit out of someone, literally, probably. And uh, good for him. And, uh, you know, like I said, when we watched it together, I was like, I don't think Jubilee has that dog in him. And <laughs> I know I keep making a bunch of dog references, but goddamn, man, that was rough. So. You take Dude. Oh, I made another in reference fight, there. Yeah, yeah, literally, literally. I, <laughs> rough, I can't rough. keep up with this man at all. I can't keep up. Nah, man, I yes. couldn't agree anymore. That fight fucking stupid because 
there's no argument in my opinion who's the better fighter or who's the skill, more skilled fighter. I'm picking Jubilee day any fucking day. It just felt like I, I don't even think it was a cardio thing. I, I I really feel like he just felt resistance and just fucking fell apart, right? Which is not surprising for any prospect in the UFC specifically, but just a terrible way to go out in a fight where you were clearly dominating. And all you had to do was hold on, baby. Just hold on. We're going home. And you, you find a way to fucking get knocked out, man. You, you hate to see it. Uh, but I'm sure he will be back. And unfortunately now, Mike Breeden will as well. But with all that being said, we move on to the most fucking bullshit, the, 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 the least satisfied result I felt from this entire card. Nathaniel Wood comes up short against Muhammad Naimov. Someone that must have found a way to cheat the most like aggregate number of fouls in one fight has to go to Muhammad Naimov. This guy is a dirtbag from kicking the balls multiple times and never getting a point taken for it to grabbing the fence, to grabbing the glove in the finishing sequence where we honestly felt <laughs> that Daniel Wood was poised to knock him out in the third round. And all he did was hold on to that glove. Um, how the fuck... <laughs> I, I literally feel like that Yugi meme, right? From Yu-Gi-Oh. He's like, he can't keep getting away with this. That that's how I feel about fouls in MMA at this point. It's so blatant, it's so egregious, and yet none of these guys get penalized at all. And if there was one point taken, in my opinion, the rightful winner of this fight would have came out on top. Um, with all the things that Nathaniel Wood had to overcome in this one, I do not look at him as a loser, uh, but just Someone who's on the other side of unfortunate circumstances. Sean, am I being bleak here? Does my Hamid Naibov deserve more credit? I think it was a good fight, but I think it was dirty as hell. And I think that's the reason when you fight dirty, you you know, you know, find ways to keep the advantage when you're losing it. And there was a lot of that. You know, there, it And it's, it's hard. This is exactly what I brought up earlier before, where it's hard, where you see a lot of dirty fighting and this is probably the number one culprit of it and nothing happens you know like i don't understand how in this fight especially where we had three fouls within like a eight minute span not a single point was taken and it's so clear you know especially during the fight they're talking about it after the fight they're showing it this is one of those fights where i almost like you feel like if you're nathaniel wood you call the commission, you're like, hey, can we look at this fight again? You know, like the grabbing of the fence here, you know, the the grabbing of the glove, the, the constant fouls to the groin, and, you know, all this other stuff. Listen, I, I, what chance, though? You know, I'm, I'm already, uh, you know, going at this 50-50. Why, is, why am I getting treated like this? Like, why am I not a single point? You know, at least make it a draw. You know, take a point. So that it's 28-28 yeah. at the end of the night, and we call this a draw. Maybe I'll rematch him on a fight night at Hellscape 5 million, and, you know, we'll, we'll square this away. But, like, this is – I I was I was upset. You know, I was upset watching this fight because, you know, I hate stuff like that. I hate when – obviously, when the when it happens once, it's like, all right. You know, obviously, it didn't, wasn't meant to, you know, be like that. But then all of a sudden it happens a second time. 
Then we're seeing the fence grab. Then we're seeing grabbing the glove. It's like, all right, enough. I, if like if I was a ref, <laughs> I would have been like, you do this shit again after the second. That's such like, an idle threat. Point. Give me one. There's no fucking. That's what I'm saying. It. After having the second time, I've been like enough. Once I saw the the the, the glove grab, one point. Once I see the grabbing of the fence, two points. Like obviously, uh, you know, it, it depends on how you look at it. It's the third fight of the night. You know, that's that was probably as rough as it gets. But I'm surprised that it's just, you know, we went from the refs not, you know, doing enough to the doctors doing too much. It's like, okay, come on, come on, meet us here, meet us in the middle here. Yeah. And th- this was this was fucked up. I feel for Nathaniel Wood. I hope the UFC doesn't uh, penalize this man too much with the loss, and I hope he gets right back in there and uh, has another tough fight ahead of him. Great shout. I think it sucks that this performance is barred so bad by these fouls because Muhammad Naimov is a tank at 145 and has some real skills that just completely get thrown under the radar uh, when you fight like that. Uh, but next up, Victoria Stafifikova gets the win over Jin Yu Fry. Pussy juice just leaking everywhere out on that octagon mixed with the staff. It must have smelled amazing in there in Abu Dhabi. Uh, how did you feel about this women's 115 matchup? Well, um, I thought it, it went exactly as as we predicted. You know, Dudakova had gotten the job done. But finding out later, well, and this is the weird part too, uh, announcing after the fight that you had staff. Uh, what? The, why would you do that? Why would you do it after the fact? With the whole card still going on, 11, 12 fights to go. And you're out there. Yeah, I got it. I have it right now. You just can't see it because it's under my shorts. It's so, leaking in my asshole right now. Yeah. You know, uh, good luck to the rest of the guys. But, you know, lucky for her, there were like two other fighters who also had it. So, you know, it was uh, she kind of got saved by the bell there. You know, like it wasn't, you know, too harmful for for her. And, you know, hopefully she. I don't know what happens with her. If she'll get fined or suspended. I don't know what the hell happens there. But, you know, they asked Dana, like, the fact that three fighters still ended up having it. And he was like, you know, what what can you do? Is That's really a bullshit non-answer, by the way. And, and it is. That's a bullshit is. non-answer. Why are you getting a fucking medical before the fight hand? You would think that they do a physical to a certain extent. Every time I've gotten a physical, I've gotten my balls checked. Why the fuck we not figuring this out, right? Like, like, percent. If you're if you're really doing pre-fight medicals, in my opinion, commissions need to take. And obviously, the fucking UFC was the commission for this one. So if he doesn't give a fuck, nobody's gonna give a fuck on this end. But commission should really take it and take pride in preventing fights from happening, right? Because that's Absolutely. what your job is. Your job is to make sure that if someone isn't fit to fight for whatever reason, that they aren't. And clearly, they're just doing a fucking terrible job of doing that. Sorry I cut you off, man. No, it's just one of those things where you think, you know, because it's Abu Dhabi, because there's a lot of money thrown into this, it almost makes you wonder the fact that there were three fighters other than Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns was so obvious in the fact that he was posting all over social media. It was like, okay, we can't let this happen. You know, the fact that he's telling people we have it. We have to save face here and say he's out. Like before we even know how bad it is, take him out. The other three kind of hush hush, but I, I do feel in a way, if you're doing these um you know, doctor visits before the fight and plenty of them and all that stuff, 
I would be very surprised if it really goes unnoticed between all the doctors that come through with all three fighters. That's like, if that's the case, you got bad, you got bad physicals, you got bad doctors mm-hmm. there. Something's not right. You know, we're, yeah. I don't know what's going on here, but that ain't right. And I think the fact that, you know, you have Paul Acosta out there just telling everyone they, he was like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Okay, let's say we're cleaning it up. Let's replace him. And, you know, oh, well, we didn't know. Oh, there's really nothing we can do. There was definitely something you could do, but you couldn't lose three, you know, uh, prelim fights and go down to 10. And it would have messed everything up. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they're hiding something. I just think that it's very, very fishy that three fighters have it. The fact that they kept going and the fact that Dana says, ah, there's really nothing we could do. It happened and I didn't know about it till after. There's something you could do. You knew about it. There's doctors all day before and after. This is you, you, it's kind of bullshit. And the fact no one's talking about it just shows exactly what the UFC wanted. That it just eh, gets swept under the rug. We'll never talk about it again. For sure. Couldn't have said it better myself. The final fight of the night. Shara Bullet Magomedov gets the win over Bruno Silva. I thought impressively, unlike the last fight, I thought this was a pretty clear win for him. Uh, despite some dicey judging, in my opinion, where Bruno Silva was not given the third round on every scorecard, even though I thought that was probably the clearest round for anyone um, in the entire fight. Uh, there's no respect given to grappling here, but I am not surprised. Uh, but Shara Bullet looked really exciting, right? And I think that might be all that matters. Uh, but do you think there is some truth to the conspiracy that the reason why we haven't seen him fight in the UFC up to this point is because we were waiting for a card that's sanctioned by the UFC. Is there something to that theory, Sean? Is the is the reason why we haven't seen him until we are out there in the desert? Yeah, probably. Uh, I didn't even think about that. You know, you're kind of this is brand new news to me. But yeah, I would. That's probably that's probably a good reason for why it took this long. Um, it might still continue to be that way. I don't, I don't know. You know, I, that's, that's a very tough to little debatable thing to talk about. Uh, yeah, probably, but I wonder what happens now. Like what, what can happen for him now and what they're going to do with him. Cause you know, now he's, he's going to be compared to Bisping for forever because of obviously having one eye. And I, like I told you, he looks like, like the Greek God to me. Like, I don't know why, because of the long beard and the curly hair. Like, I don't know what it is. It just reminds me of some Greek God type figure that you yeah, Every sculpture. time you explain it to me, it makes, it makes less sense, but I love it. It just, Dude, it just looks like a, a sculpture that you see. Like, ancient Rome Greek vibe out there. Yeah. Ancient Greece, ancient Rome. You're looking at that sculpture. You go, yeah, I can see why that dude was a God. He looks like that, especially hmm. dude, dude looks like he had battle scars. Like he's got, a, he's blind, you know, he had, one eye's blind. He looks like he's been through it. Like he was just, mm-hmm. at, you know, in battle. Like, so he, he helps himself <laughs> in that regard. So For sure. regardless, I think it was kind of bullshit that Bruno didn't win that third round. Um, mm-hmm. That was the most clear round of them all, like you said. And the fact that I remember we, we obviously you had just arrived. The fight had just started at the 10 a.m. I get it. Uh, I still think, though, first, you know, card of the night. No reason why Bruno Silva should have lost, you know, and get swept like that. I think he clearly won that third round, but still, great win for Shara. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think he is eleven or twelve and zero now. So 
some hype there. You know, there's some hype there, and uh, I'm glad that he got the dub, and we'll see what happens next. Heck yeah. Well, with all that being said, our recap on the night, both Sean and I finished the night seven wins, four losses, and two no contests, bringing our total for the season at 91 wins, 53 losses, one draw, and three no contests. Me and Sean are all knotted up in the head-to-head competition, but Dynasty is rounded out with both of us going 2-1 and 1-no contest. But I finished the night three points ahead as I have been 31-16, and one draw, one no contest, to your 28-19 and one no contest. Next week, there's one fighter that's already been drafted. Montserrat Conejo is going to be making a stamp, repping the flag of Sean Negron's MMA once again. That's right. Uh, But until then, we've got another card to look forward to. Jelton Almeida versus Derek Lewis, which is the late-minute replacement. But we'll get into that next week. Until next time, folks, we can't wait, and we'll be thinking about all of you. But before we dip out of here, just make sure you're following the brand at OTS Media and OTS Media Co. on YouTube. And you follow my guy, Sean Negron. Why don't you tell them where they could do that, brother? Again, you can follow me at Sean Negron26 on Twitter. And then if you're feeling up to it, you can go to bsreports.org where you can see me and eventually Chris's work. And we can get to show you what we're all about, not only in the podcast game, but in the writing game and obviously everything else in sports in general. Couldn't have said it more beautifully myself. We all have got a lot of things to look forward to. You could catch me at Negron MMA on Twitter and TikTok, as well as Chris Negron underscore on Instagram. But until next time, folks, make sure you keep that taint protected, baby, because we don't give a fuck about groin shots or enforcing the penalties on this side. Catch you next time.